THN is brought to you by Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter. Hacha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 533 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt Bob. What? It's an interesting take. I was being regal. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Matt and the Internet's Joe Patrick. In this week's episode, we're reviewing a bunch of Wednesday, June 19th new comics with spotlight reviews of Superman Year One, number one, and Usagi Yojimbo, number one. After that, we'll review eight more of this week's comics while attempting to shoot Jupiter out of the sky during the ludicrous speed round. Then it's down to the teach in Sanctum Sanctorum, where our summer solstice orgy is getting, well, a little weird. And we'll also discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally... It's time to check in with our British compatriot across the pond, Mr. Sir Stately Lord Fungus. I don't know if those titles are in the right order or what. I don't know how it works, honestly. It's all happening in this hot fun in the summertime episode, but first, we better talk about this week's hot nerd news. It's hot. Too hot. Well, the big two have been falling all over each other this week, trying to see who can announce the most new projects in a single news cycle. We're going to start off with Marvel. Following a string of teaser images, the publisher announced the very generically titled Strike Force. Yes! An <laughs> ongoing series from writer Tiny Howard and artist German Peralta. The team is billed as a, quote, team that will do things others won't. Like eat a worm. Never seen that Ew, before. Like Fear Factor stuff, right? <laughs> the li- <laughs> Gross. <laughs> and the lineup consists of Damien Hellstrom, Monica Rambeau, Blade, Angela, the Winter Soldier, Wiccan, huh? and the newly revealed final member, Spider-Woman. This team is all over the place. Yeah. Strike Force is described by Marvel.com as, quote, a monsterific bloodbath. Because when I think of bloodbaths, I think of Wiccan and Monica Rambeau. <laughs> uh, no further details have been revealed other than the fact that it is due out in September. Well, when you put the words monsterific and bloodbath next to each other, yeah. you know Matt Baham is going to pay admission to get in. Sure. So. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> A new Black Widow series will delve into the spy slash superhero's past and have Natasha fighting to stop someone from exploiting it. Writer Jody Hauser and artist Stephen Mooney. I love Stephen Mooney. I do too. Stephen Mooney's really good. They are set for the web of Black Widow, a five-issue series scheduled to debut this September. They're calling it a great introduction to new readers and a thrilling confirmation to fans in the know why Black Widow is one of Earth's mightiest heroes. Huh? Yeah, I don't know. That's a confusing sentence. Okay. The new series finds a mysterious figure exploiting the hero's past, and in response, the widow may have to go off the grid. Who can she trust in this web of deceit? And more importantly, can her friends trust her? Hot take. Just like we talked about Silver Surfer last week, I don't think the Black Widow can support a series. I think she's really, really good. I think minis, though, are fine. Minis, yes. When you got a story to tell, do it. But stop restarting series. It's stupid. Sure, yeah. You know. Uh, I like this creative team a lot better than the one that did the last Black yeah. Widow mini. Hopefully yeah. this is good. I like Jody Hauser. Steven Mooney's art is fantastic. The last one just didn't work. And it's not, like it, it wasn't terrible, but it was it, not yeah. memorable. It didn't and, do anything for me. Yeah, it didn't do anything. Finally, the Thor God of Thunder creative team, Jason Aaron and Asad Ribic, will reunite for a four-issue King Thor limited series featuring the older iteration of the character 
from God of Thunder. Right. At the center of the limited series is the tale of Thor and Loki's final battle as the brothers and timeless nemeses clash for the last time. But Loki's bringing a new weapon, the Necrosword. Man, we just can't get away from the Necrosword. I know. Once wielded by the God Butcher in God of Thunder, that's the third mention of that series in this description. <laughs> King Thor number one is due out in September. Here's your full solicit. Do we need to read the full no, solicit? No, we need to read it. Yeah. Well, all we know is it's going to be awesome, and this is so going to be sort of his this is farewell, the cap. right? The cap on Jason yeah. Aaron's six, eight, however many years. He's going to finish this, and then he's going to walk into the ocean. Yeah. yeah. He's just going to let himself sink into the tar pit. <laughs> That's it. Uh, so King Thor sounds good. Black Widow sounds decent. Strike Force sounds like garbage. Yeah, there's got to be better names you can come up with for this. Like, I mean, anything. I'm just, come on. I'm just so tired of... The team that'll do what it takes. Yeah, totally. Like We've ex- done it. Extreme murder team is not afraid to murder in extreme fashion. And you know, at like, least I half of the it. characters on this team are not characters that I would classify as killers. No. What is Wiccan doing there? I know. What is Wiccan doing anywhere? They've got him all over the weird place right now. He's Does in he- that Death's Head book, too. That's yeah, strange. What the hell? Strange. <laughs> yeah, Spider Woman, uh, Spectrum, yeah, and, and Wiccan. What they don't fit. If in you want to put together like a monster squad, and we deal with monsters. Fine, like get Ilsa Bloodstone in there. Sure, throw Hellstrom in there. I'm into it. Fine, you know, like I don't know, give me Sasquatch in there or something, and we go out and we fight the monsters. You know, Blade can be there too because vampires are monsters. Yeah, at I first, don't care. Like at first, it, the teasers seem to be leaning towards like a supernatural. Because I think the Blade was the first one. Yeah. Uh, and then it was, there was a Hellstrom one, and then there was a, 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 a Wiccan. I was like, okay, well, magic Magic, I guess, yeah. And then it was like the Winter Soldier. <laughs> yeah. What? I know. Spider-Woman. <laughs> well, they can't figure out what to do with Bucky. They have no idea what to do with Bucky. He can't have his own series. I think at this point, calling him the Winter Soldier is stupid. Yeah, Cold War's over, buddy. He's not the Winter Soldier anymore. The Winter right. Soldier was a bad guy right. that murdered people for an evil government. It's like if he was a reformed Nazi and he called himself, I'm still the super Nazi or something. You know, sure, like, right. no, you're not. Yeah. I mean, I like Tiny Howard. I just, I'm not excited about this. And the name is so generic. Yeah. Strike Force. Yeah, dumb. It's hard to get excited about yeah. it. Not to be outdone, DC has announced a trio of new titles spinning out of recent events. First up, Gotham City Monsters, a team spinning off the pages of Event Leviathan. This September, Gotham City Monsters will be written by Steve Orlando. Yay. I love Orlando. And drawn by M&K Nahulpan, Nahulpan, who is stupid talented, but yeah. I cannot say his last name. No. DC is not specified if this is an ongoing or limited. I think it's a limited. Probably a limited. Leviathan has dismantled Shade, and that means Frankenstein is once again a free agent. Now he can set his sights on his former mentor, Melmoth, the one evil that got away. With bad things happening all across the multiverse, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so we've got a team where he recruits Killer Croc, Lady Clayface, Orca, mm. and Vampire Andrew Bennett. Yeah, from iVampire. Oh, yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. Gotcha. But even these dread creatures will be enough to save humanity, yada, yada, yada. So, But this is what you were talking about. Team of monsters. Yeah. Fighting monsters. Fighting monsters. I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm fine with it. it. Why we need to call it Gotham City Monsters, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a loose Batman tie-in, so hopefully Bat fans will buy it. That's all. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy is a new six-issue series starting September following up the events of Heroes in Crisis. Hooray! Yay! It is written by Jody Hauser with art by Adriana Mello. You, uh, we are all going to have to deal with this Heroes in Crisis shit, whether we like it or not. Yeah, forever. For years to come. It's like, no, you enjoyed it. 
Now you get more. I'm like, we didn't enjoy it. Yes, you did. I have a DC question. knows you enjoyed it. Yeah. <laughs> it certainly sold. I, I'm sure it sold because of, I bet, 50% like morbid curiosity. It did sell well. It did uh, sell well. I have a question. So the, it's Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy. Who cares? They're they're unpacking. Now, they're exploring their relationship, blah, blah, I blah. I did really like the way that those two were written yeah. in that book. Yes. They I were think great. The Poison Ivy, I think the Harley and Ivy relationship is very sweet. It's cute. Uh, I think that the newly resurrected Poison Ivy still running around uh, looking like she's got her muscles on the outside uh, is gross. Yeah, I don't. I'm not Why sure what isn't that she is. put, put some clothes on? Like trying to make her more swamp thingy or I something. Yes, but she doesn't look plant like. Other than the fact that she's green, yeah. she looks like she has no skin. Yeah, she looks gross. Yeah, I don't like it. Speaking of heroes in crisis. Speaking of heroes in crisis. Flash forward. <laughs> written by Scott Lobdell with art by Brett Booth and Norm Ratmond. Joe Patrick, you've got to be thrilled. Now that Wally West is a mass murderer. Yes. <laughs> It was an accident. He's seeking redemption. Great. Because that's what heroes do. After, Great. After they murder a bunch of people. Great. After they just violently murder people in cold blood and then blame others for the said murders. Yeah. They seek redemption. Yeah. You can't do it. No. You can't fucking do this. I, the characters, you have ruined Wally West. They've ruined Wally West. I mean. There's no question. No character is ruined forever. But I disagree. I feel like when Hal put out the sun, as it's as, as no, parallax. Hal resurrected the sun. Well, he put it out, too. No, first. he didn't. The sun eater ate, oh, the, ate sun. the sun. Oh, that's right. Yeah. No, Hal went out a hero. He he, he died no, yeah, restarting right. the Parallax sun. Parallax was trying to But even, like, Hal at his worst as Parallax. Par Parallax did something much worse. He destroyed the entire universe. Yeah, but then he put it together. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and it was kind of like, it didn't happen. Wally just cold-blooded murdered a bunch of people. No, he didn't. Not just murdered he didn't cold -blood, a didn't bunch of people. He didn't cold-blood do anything. It was an accident. It was an accident. He it was an them. accident, yes. He accidentally murdered them. He didn't murder them. They were accidentally killed when murdered. he lost control of the Speed Force. And then he blamed Which his is friends. not how the Speed Force works. Nope. Uh, and then, yes, he framed his friends for murder. Why not? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Look, I, he, was, he was going through a lot. Why are we getting more of this? I don't know, uh, Tom. It's, it's one thing if we were getting more because Tom King was giving us more. Like, I've yeah, got more. I don't want more I'm from not him. saying I want more, but I'm yeah. saying I've got more story to tell. That's one thing. So Tom King came out uh, and said, oh, this was just like the first step. Wally West is, is, has big things in store. Uh -huh. And, and like, mm. uh -huh. and then this is the announcement. This shitty creative team yeah. taking a character that I love with a shitty backstory. Super 90 schlock. Yeah. That's all this is going to be. I don't. Garbage. Want it. Finally. No, Some, no. Something you may want. Oh, yeah. It's not all bad news over at DC. After three years of teasing, the Justice Society of America is returning to the DCU this fall. The classic World War II era super team will return in Scott Snyder's Justice League later this year and are featured on the cover for September's Justice League 31. All of this stuff is happening in September. Mm-hmm. The JSA have appeared briefly in flashbacks in the current Doomsday Clock event series, which was set up in 2016's DC Universe Rebirth number one. Per Doomsday Clock, the official explanation of their absence from the DCU continuity was Dr. Manhattan altering the timeline so that Alan Scott never becomes Green Lantern. What? A key plot point of the series. According to Snyder, his plans for the classic team aren't just limited to his Justice League storyline. Quote, I also have big plans for them in general. <laughs> Their characters, well, that's good. Yeah. They're characters that I've been dying to use for a very long time. I'm a big fan of what Jeff Johns did with them and what James Robinson like, did with them. You know what? I don't really know what I'm going to do with them. Uh, uh, they're dead. <laughs> After this issue, they're dead. I hadn't really it. thought about yeah. it, truthfully. 
Uh, all I have to say about this is fucking finally. <laughs> I'm, yeah. Uh, this certainly took long enough. So I think that I think that this and the next uh, story I'm going to mention, uh, I think they just got tired of waiting for Doomsday Clock to end because Doomsday Clock was supposed to be right. a springboard for all this stuff. Yeah. And it just keeps dragging on and dragging on. The next issue... The issue eleven, not the final issue, right, is not coming out until August. It's June. Yeah. So Snyder obviously shifted some plans and said, "All right, we're going to spin it out of JLA." Yeah, I think I think DC was like, "We got to get this ball rolling." Yeah. Uh, I hope though. Do we know why it's taking so long? Uh, I I guess like Gary Frank is slow. I don't know if that's the only reason. I, I honestly don't reason. know. He's not that slow. The dude has had ongoing books before. Well, and I find it hard to believe they didn't have six issues in the can when they solicited this. I don't know the story. Unless they're changing the things as they go. Maybe. I mean, this is DC we're talking about, so who friggin' knows? I think Jeff Johns is in a weird place with DC as well. Like yeah. he he stepped down from that executive role. Yeah. And now they're kind of like slowly moving away from all the stuff that he had a hand in. Sort of. Uh, like all the like. Right, happy stuff is now like heroes in crisis. Yeah, and there's things are a, bad. There is a general darkening going on yeah. right now. Yeah, uh, I do hope that the JSA. What I want back is the older JSA. Mm -hmm. Like it's fun to have the young to see the young versions, you know, in World War II, whatever. Right. But I want the older JSA, the elder statesmen. Right. The in heroes the modern that day. show the younger guys how to do it. Yeah, that's what I want. And from other things that I've heard, I don't know that that's going to be the focus. I hope it is. It doesn't sound like it. I know. <laughs> I kind of doubt it. All right. Finally, continuing to run my emotions through a meat grinder, the publisher has announced the return of the Legion of Superheroes. Again, finally. I know. After making an appearance in August's Superman 14, the series revival begins this September 1st. With a two-part prelude special, followed by an ongoing series both by Brian Michael Bendis. Hey! It all kicks off September 18th with Legion of Superheroes Millennium Number 1, the first of a two-issue monthly limited series that sets the stage and paves the way for a 31st century future that connects all of DC's future timelines. The what? features of Commandy, Booster Gold, OMAC, Tommy Tomorrow, and the Legion will all be incorporated into one unified continuity timeline. <laughs> I'm going to have to see that diagram. I <laughs> know. Uh, no mention of Kingdom Come. I guess we're ignoring that future. Here is DC's description of Millennium. The series focuses on a most unlikely tour guide to the 31st century, a familiar face to DC fans who finds herself suddenly immortal. Who's that? Uh, Call your shot. I don't know. My gut said it was maybe like Naomi, a character that they just kind of introduced. I mean, it is Bendis. Uh, yeah, and it would make sense, but I don't know. The preview art doesn't look like Naomi, so huh. I don't know. All right. As she learns to cope with her newfound immortality and the reason she was chosen for this quest, her 1,000-year odyssey will connect all of DC's future timelines for the very first time. Bendis, who has been teasing the return of the Legion and other characters over the last week, is writing both the limited series and the subsequent ongoing with Ryan Sook. Love him. Drawing the ongoing series, a huge host of artists working on Millennium, each artist drawing a different chapter. Millennium number one has a Supergirl story drawn by Jim Lee, a Batman Beyond story by Dustin Wynn, Commandy by Andrea Sorrentino, Tommy Tomorrow by Andre Lima Araujo. That's, of course, so They're great. going for it here. Millennium number two has Booster Gold by Nicola Scott, OMAC by Jim Chung. Jesus. Ah! Uh, an off-world tale, unspecified, by Jeff DeKal. What is off-world? I don't know. And a Legion uh, prelude story by Ryan Sook. 
I am excited. This is nuts. I know. This They're is going for it. Oofta. Big time going for it. I hope they let Bendis steer this ship a bit. I really do. I think he could breathe real personality and voice into these characters and he's got a big enough scope to make it make sense yeah. in his storytelling. Yeah. I think that could be a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, and he's talking about like, you know, the big for real Legion, 30, 40 characters, yeah. each from a different planet, each Love with it. their own power. Love it. Um, that Superman issue is going to introduce the United planets uh, to the uh, current day DCU. I think Superboy is going to go to the future and join the Legion of Superheroes, and that's why they made him older. I think so, too. Uh, and That's uh, how we get rid of John, and it's how we get Superboy in the future. Yep. There you go. I'm, I'm, I can't wait for this to come yeah, out, this quite is frankly. Cool. As, and as, I think Millennium sounds cool, too. As much as we're bagging on some things that are going to DC, it seems like the Superman, Brian Michael Bendis corner is in such good hands, as far as Young Justice and all those little... Yeah, the Wonder of, Comics books. They're amazing. I read... I mean, I read I read Wonder Twins number five last night. I can't believe a book about the Wonder Twins is that good. Yeah. It's brilliant. People love it. And Brendan's not even writing that one. I'm behind. I'm way behind on that one. It's so good. Yeah, I got to catch up. Uh, I, yeah, I, I don't understand what's going on in the minds of some people at DC. Yeah. But I think Bendis just has a passion for these characters. Uh, like, it was clear in interviews that he's a huge Legion fan. I wonder... If his ego and Jeff John's ego is clashing and they are more on the side of Brian Michael Bendis and that's why John's is pulling back a bit. Oh, I don't know, but it seems like... Jeff John's has nothing, nothing coming out other than Shazam. this Doomsday thing. Yeah, yeah he's got Shazam. Shazam. Uh, which is also like super late all the time. Yeah. It's constantly getting delayed. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems There's like... There's something it, weird going it on. It seems like everything Bendis is doing at DC would be right up John's alley. Right? So I don't, I don't understand the internal politics. I don't of know. DC. There's something weird going on there, though. Yeah. That is your nerd news for the week. But I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while removing Joe's full Wally West back tattoo. So it's going to take a lot of laser treatments to get that sucker <laughs> off. Hit us up on the THN forums, the big news section, or better yet, you can tune into Cover to Cover live every Saturday. But we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11:30 to 12:30 central standard time it's like am talk radio but for nerds and without all the sweet farewells to sarah huckabee say good fucking riddance so call us at 402-819-4894 or click the call now button on our facebook page if you can't be there live leave us a message or you can send us an mp3 to a nerd at gmail.com It's spotlight review time in the ziggurat where we take two of this week's books to the pool, but make sure to slather them with sunscreen because condition is important. That's right. Matt, you might want to flip yours first because you're getting a little red, buddy. Fair enough. This week I'm reviewing Yusagi Yojimbo number one from IDW, written and drawn by Stan Sakai with colors by Tom Luth of Groove fame. Huh? <laughs> 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Follow the adventures of rabbit ronin Miyamoto Yusagi as he wanders Edo period Japan on his warrior's journey. In the start of a three-part story, Yusagi becomes embroiled in a puppet drama, literally a puppet drama, where the players are not quite what they seem. They're puppets. That's correct, yes. 
Finally, the mystery of why Stan Sakai left Dark Horse is answered. He wanted a what? shitload of variant covers. 25 pages Jesus worth of variants Christ. on this there review were so copy. so many variants. And one included the long-awaited J. Scott Campbell. <laughs> oh, man, I'm glad you, you brought up variant. my exact concerns. Woo! It is it is about damn time. Oh, and a black and white version of it, too, oh, in sure, case you sure. wanted, you know. Welcome to IDW Entertainment, Usagi. Hope you survive the experience. I hope you make so much money from every one of those stupid <laughs> covers. The good news is Sakai has not changed a thing. This is the continuing adventures of Usagi. Not young Usagi or an all-new, different samurai rabbit. Not only does the story pick up right where it left off at Dark Horse. Not Usagi meets Ghostbusters. No, not yet anyway. Meets, meets Rom. But Sakai continues to reference his older stories too. Openly. Yeah. All over the place. Sure. Sakai's art is cartooning in the purest sense. His anthropomorphic characters can come off as cute and even comedic, but the story is quite the opposite. Exploring Japanese culture and the samurai code. His themes are dark. There's magic, there's murder, there's vengeance. His style is truly his own, and his stories are paced very much like classic samurai films. They are deliberate, and they are dramatic. There's action here. The book opens with a samurai battling a demon army, but the real genius is Sakai's attention to detail and continuity in his stories. Nothing is wasted in Usagi comics. The pacing can seem slow at times, but every word of dialogue... Every facial expression, every reference to an earlier adventure is thought out, and it is here for a reason. Sakai's stripped-down samurai storytelling is its a refreshing change from just about every comic on the shelf, but I have to wonder how IDW fans getting their first taste of Usagi are going to feel about the series. Are sales Who going cares? to be an issue here at IDW? I mean, while Usagi has a following, I am part of that cult, I'm curious as to what IDW's definition of success is for this comic. It's definitely a cult-following book. Well, but they had to know how it was performing at Dark Horse. They had to have. I'm not saying they didn't, but I don't know. I mean, I'm glad they did it this way. It makes sense. Usagi will always sell to Usagi fans, and it's that true. has been enough. I just that don't... It seems to have been enough for 30 years. Truly, and they're not trying to open this up to any brand new fans here either. It's not exactly a jumping on point. Not that it was impenetrable. No. It does reference past I'm giving stories. It a, I'm giving yeah. it a buy it. It does definitely. reference past stories, but like, I'm not a regular reader of Usagi Yojimbo, but every time I dip into it, whether it's for one, uh, a one issue or a three-parter or whatever, it's fine. It's fine. Good. You, it's... I'm not Everything you need to know about the character is in the concept of the that's character. That's true. And I'm not, I'm not worried about the book itself. I guess I'm... I'm more worried than I am upset with the book. You know what I mean? I will tell you this, and this is, I'm giving it a bite as well to get that out of the way. And so this is no fault of Stan Sakai's, but like the aggressive weaponized marketing yeah. of IDW's licensed machine, licensing machine. I'm, I opened up the review copy. Maybe that's what he wants. 25 pages yeah. out of the 56 page PDF were variant covers. It's crazy. It's, it's and just it just insane. made me feel a little bit gross. It's not even that the covers are bad. Like Charles Vestra's one, a lot of them are quite beautiful. No, they're great, but 25 but variant like, covers. Why? Why? What is the point? I don't get it. It works for them. They wouldn't do it if it didn't. I guess. I, it's just, it's weird, and it's kind of off-brand for it's Stan Sakai. Yes, it's definitely off-brand for Yusagi Yojimbo. No question. But I loved it. I thought it was great. 
Speaking of things we loved and thought was great, Joe Patrick, <laughs> Superman, year one, take it away. Ooh, buckle up. It's from DC Comics Black Label imprint for reasons. I guess. Uh, so that they can call it out of continuity, I hope. I suppose that's all uh, it is. It's written by Frank Miller with art by John Romita Jr. and Danny Mickey. Uh, it's it's 56 pages, I think. I think is it's every, what it came down to. It's every to. bit of 56. Yeah, yeah, or 64 pages. I think it's three 64 page issues, $7.99. Oh, I did hear that, it, that the content got rewritten under DC's new, like, tame content guidelines. Really? So I wonder what's missing from Superman Year One. Huh. Here, just solicit. From the burning world of Krypton to the bucolic fields of Kansas, the first chapter of Superman Year One tracks Clark Kent's youth in Kansas as he comes to terms with his strange powers and struggles to find his place in our world. DC Black Label is proud to present blah, blah, blah. Frank Miller's most well-known portrayal of the Man of Steel cast the DCU's greatest hero as a borderline fascistic tool of a corrupt right-wing government. Frank Miller intends for this story, no joke, to be in the same continuity as that legendary work. I guess. That's what he said. <laughs> that should tell you everything you need to know about Miller's take on Superman. But we're not there yet, since this is the story of young Clark Kent as he grows into manhood. Until the very final scenes of the issue, Miller doesn't really add anything too new to the familiar origin story, except, of course, for a strong implication that baby Kal-El has inexplicable mental powers. <laughs> and thoughts of babies probably shouldn't have, Yes, too. <laughs> Miller does a decent job showing how young Clark stands out from his peers, but then he insists on having side characters spell it out for you just in case the subtext wasn't enough. The writer also has Ma Kent adopting Kevin Costner's philosophy from Zack Snyder's Man of Steel. Don't take risks to protect others. Don't stand out, whatever you do. That's okay, though, because Pa later goes to Clark in private and undercuts everything his wife just said. <laughs> I hated this take on the Kents. Hated it. It seems like Miller can't decide on a single tone or storytelling style. First off, and most glaringly, no human being outside of an old-timey Western has ever talked like the characters in this book. The dialogue is laughably, absurdly cheesy, and every character other than Clark and maybe Lana is a stereotypical caricature of a, 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 a character trope. Like Absolutely. Goth teen. Yeah. Fat kid. Weirdo. Bully. Right. That's all they are. Out of nowhere, things like chapter headings and thought balloons appear one time and are never used again. Yeah. It was really, uh, yeah. So all odd. of a sudden, so strange. There's a scene between Clark and Lana in the school library where Lana has a heart-shaped balloon hovering over her head that says, nerd love. I don't even think it's supposed to represent actual dialogue. No. I think it's just her state of mind. It's like they put an emoji on the picture. It's like Teen Girl Squad sound effects. It, it's no, like, arrowed. It's like, <laughs> I get it. Matt Baum said, ha 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 to your last tweet, you know, yeah, or something. Right. You know, yeah, like, exactly. What the hell? Yes. The bright optimism of Superman's coming-of-age story is suddenly undercut by an attempted gang rape, as if we didn't already know that the issue's bully villains were very bad people. They spend 50 pages telling us how bad the bullies are. I didn't really get it until they were gang raping. Yeah. That's when it sunk in. And then, and then when I heard about DC editing the content to tone it down, I thought, oh, shit. Frank Miller raped Lana Lang. <laughs> That's what happened in this comic. Miller 
also can't seem to decide who's narrating the story as captions oh, slip from first to third person, yeah. seemingly at random, within the same panel. It was bizarre. It was crazy. It was like reading a, a crazy person, like, narrating things. It like Imagine what it's like for Quentin Tarantino to pitch a script. <laughs> oh, God. That's what this felt like. It's like, so Superman walks in the room. What does he see? He is overtaken by these things that he is seeing. And his father is like, Superman, you shouldn't be doing that because, Dad, he's very careful. And, and he has thoughts, too. It's like, what are we doing? <laughs> Who is telling this story? I'll <laughs> say this, though. I'm a lifelong fan of John Romita Jr., and I think his work looks great here. It's beautiful. Paired with Danny Mickey's slick inks. Very often- I think it's Mickey. I think it's yeah, Danny think it's Mickey. Mickey yeah. yeah. Very often, Romita Jr. gets paired with uh, guys like Klaus Jansen, another legend. I'm not a huge fan. Right. Because I like the more slick line on Romita's work. I like Klaus Jansen, but- I like his work in general. I just don't like him with Romita. And I think it's, it's great in this issue. Unfortunately, though, he isn't really given much to do but illustrate talking heads and farmland. Uh, I do expect, though, that that will change in later issues when more superhero stuff starts happening. I suppose. I hear there's mermaids in number two. All right. I thought the page with Clark contemplating his future on Wait, top of the Lori green. Lamaris or whatever? Lori Lamaris, baby. <laughs> oh. I thought the page with Clark contemplating his future on top of the grain silo was especially beautiful. DC, DC must think that Frank Miller's name still comes with the cachet that brings a guaranteed number of sales. They have to. Yeah. That's the only reason I can fathom an editor greenlighting a project like Superman Year One from Frank Miller. All-Star Batman and Robin's goddamn Frank Miller. Right, right, right. It's pretty, though. It's very pretty. I'm giving it a leave it. <laughs> I'm giving it a skim it. And I'm giving you a skim it because the art was so good and because I have to give props to Frank Miller for not doing what I thought he was going to do with this. I thought it could be so much worse. I thought he was going to like, I mean, you, who well, knew? Well, now hold on. Not as bad as I feared is not really a recommendation. No, but, but I have to give him something for that. Now, my, my problem with it is what you said. It was so overwritten. Yeah. Completely overwritten that it came off like lunacy. Where I, I just, you couldn't follow who was having a thought. Was this God narrator talking? Was this Superman talking? Was the baby having thoughts? That's fucking weird. You know, yeah. like, it, it was just so painfully overwritten. And it really doesn't do anything to shake up the Superman mythos no. or add Except anything to it. Except for the very it. end where that was a, a swerve. Right. That's not typically part of Superman's story. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit there, but we had to get to the very end of the book for that. 64 and, pages, And yeah. quite honestly, I was bored. Yeah. I mean, yeah. More than anything, I was bored. I mean, I, I guess I didn't want him to come in and blatantly ruin the Superman mythos, but I thought this was going to get, that would, may have at least been exciting and laughable. Sure. This was boring at best. I mean, placing it. But place, not a complete failure, so I'm giving it a skim it. Okay. Placing it in black label is smart because I can ignore it or not if I want to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I still don't understand what black label is supposed to be. There was nothing adult about this yeah. that I. Well, that, I know what it was supposed to they be. They couldn't but have done outside of anything. Yeah. And dealing with like updating things by dealing with a gang rape. I mean, like, what does this add? Right. What does it do? Right. And you boy, know, she sure snaps back and from you it pretty know, quick. You, you know, you can't do it the way that sicko Frank Miller probably wants to do it. Yeah. So why do it at all? Right. I, I just, yeah. you know, it's just, 
Yeah, it's it's a lot of weird choices. I just don't understand why we're getting this. And Frank Miller is not the name. Just like you said, he's not the name that's going to push these sales. There, he's certainly not the guy that he used to be. And younger, the younger generation of fans, this name, I'm curious. Like if I just asked people age 25 to 30, what they think of Frank Miller, I bet it's completely different than any you know, remnants of love we have for old Frank Miller Yeah, I mean, you ask somebody who read Watchmen for the first time today as opposed to when they were a kid. Sure. You're going to get a different response. And I think the same is with uh, Dark Knight Returns. And I don't know if Dark Knight Returns even has the same cachet that it used to. I I don't know. It's, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't get it. Why do we have, why do we need this? Yeah. So that is a double buy it for Usagi Yojimbo number one and a skim it, a very generous skim it and a leave it for Superman year one number one. Could have been way worse. Sure. <laughs> we'll post our written reviews over at nerd.com so you can rub aloe all over your sunburnt feelings about our opinions. But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics too. So call us this weekend on THN cover to cover. The number is 402-819-4894. I really do want to talk to some people about this comic book. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Greetings, fellow stargazers! If you've been looking up, you may have noticed Jupiter visible with the naked eye in the northwestern sky. You may not have known that Jupiter, the largest planet in our solar system, protects Earth from countless meteor and comet strikes that would certainly end civilization as we know it. With Jupiter being this close, we can finally unleash the full power of the THN Wave Motion Gun, which will scatter the gas giant across our solar system, unleashing a torrent of world-ending meteors that will finally free us from DC's terrible Wally West decisions, so perhaps a new society can rise from the ashes and do it right. But first, before we embrace oblivion, we gotta review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! I really thought you were going to hold it for the whole thing. No, I couldn't. It was starting <laughs> to hurt a little bit. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Mm, Warlord of Mars Attacks, number one from Dynamite. How in the blue hell has Mars Attacks Martians not had crossovers <laughs> with everyone at Dynamite except Alice Cooper at this point, and just now they get to attacking John Carter of Mars. Ack, ack, am I right? It was right there in front of them the entire time, and they missed it? Seriously? (laughs) Jeff Parker writes the action, and unlike the other Mars Attacks crossovers, this one seems to be lacking the B-movie sci-fi humor I've come to expect from the Aquarium Head Martians. Parker tells a pretty straightforward John Carter story, and it was fine. Dean Cott's art was also fine, but he's not an artist that should be taken on this many splash pages, if you know what I mean. Mm. Giving it a skim it. Psylords, number one from Valiant. Fred Van Linty and Renato Geddes revive the old Valiant properties, starring a team of amnesiacs with Mikhail Gorbachev marks on their heads that give them Green Lantern-esque mental powers. Sort of. God. <laughs> Van Linty's script left me a bit cold. There's some bad dialogue and some story beats didn't make much sense. They have no memories, except when it seems they kind of do. They have superhero-ready code names that were assigned to them by their alien captors. Still... I like the concept, and Gettys' painted art is fantastic. I'm giving Silo's number one a skim. I'm giving it a buy it because there's more going on here, and had you read more of the Valiant Universe. I might know why they have code names scrawled on their cell doors. Yep, you might know. 
and that they're so readily readily comfortable You're with gonna see. calling them You'll by see. their names like You'll that? There's something else going on. All right, fine. Saban's Go Go Power Rangers Forever Rangers number one from Boom Rangers Power Rangers. <laughs> this Power Rangers number one is the first new Ranger series that didn't grab me right away. No, it did not. But that may be due to the fact that the story continues in the previous Go Go series. Yes, it did. It is like the finale of a right? long storyline. Why not just keep the numbering? The art was action packed and perfect for a Power Ranger story, but there was just too much time travel, weird villains with vendettas I couldn't follow. It's a well executed issue, I suppose but not a number one. I have to give it a skimmit. Yeah. Hellboy, the BPRD, the Beast of Vargu, number one from Dark Horse. Mike Mignola reteams with his wild hunt artist Duncan Fagredo for this one-shot period piece featuring Hellboy punching out yet another monster from European folklore and the second story featuring weird marionettes that I read this week. <laughs> Fagredo is wonderful as usual. And honestly, I would be totally happy if this was what the Mignolaverse was now. No end of the world doom and gloom, just fun adventures from throughout Hellboy and the BPRD's history. Huge buy it. This is a lot more so action-packed than a lot of the BPRD stories. A lot of pungent, yeah. Recently, yeah, it was good. Black Badge number 11 from Boom. With the series about Kid Scouts doing its government dirty work as spies coming to an end, I decided to catch up with writer Matt Kent's story. Is it coming to an end? Yeah, 12 is the last issue. And it got dark. <laughs> There's kids faking their own deaths. Father is selling out their children to maintain their cover, and the very mission of the Black Badge may have been compromised from day one. This book is packed full of spy intrigue and paranoia that no child should have to endure, and it's a damn fun read. I'm giving it a buy it. Didn't want to review Stitched, huh? Couldn't find it. Oh. Mm -hmm. Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number seven from Marvel. In this issue, writer Saladin Ahmed has Miles reconnecting with family and friends after his recent battle against Tombstone. Ahmed does a great job with these characters and keeps you really invested in their relationships. Each scene with a different part of the family is drawn by a different artist, which is a nice touch, even if it makes the issue look a little inconsistent. Saladin Ahmed has definitely proven himself a worthy successor to Bendis, and I'm very happy to have him charting the future adventures of Miles Morales. I'm giving it a buy. It's such a good book. It's, it's really great. Good. Captain America number 11 from Marvel. Tanisi Coates and Adam Kubert are having a blast writing this book, and there's nothing I love more than a supervillain in prison story. Except for maybe a superhero, supervillain in prison team up. Ah, yeah. Here, a team of women, including Sue Storm, Misty Knight, Sharon Carter, Spider Woman, and Mockingbird team up to spring cap from prison. That's a weird mix. He's teaming up with the Wrecking Crew and others to escape Ron Strucker's super prison. This creative team is killing it. Cap 11 gets a buy it. Is Sharon Carter still weirdly old? She's weirdly old. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's fine. Trout, the hollowest knock. Number one from Dark Horse. What the fuck is this comic book? It was wild, man. Seriously. <laughs> I barely understood the most basic aspects of the plot, and that was after I looked it up. Quote, Blamed for the loss of the children of Lower Upton, the townsfolk burned down Giuseppe's turnip factory and run him and Trout out of town. Sick and distraught, the two have no other recourse but to travel across the ocean to Giuseppe's childhood village. Trout is lost along the way. Okay, fine. I'm with you. Everything else in this book is incomprehensibly weird. What is Trout? He seems to be an immortal baby? Kind of. What's going on with those jellyfish and that eel demon Not really important. thing? It's got arms. Who is that clown, and why does he have a giant screw drilled into his face? This is what Troy Nixie does, you realize. Yeah. He's absurdist. Like, That's yes. his thing. Nixie's art 
colored by the legendary Dave Stewart is bizarre and mesmerizing. I have literally no idea about the rest of it. <laughs> uh, Trout number one gets a skim it because as nuts as it was, it definitely captured my attention. Special shout out to Matt Baum for failing to check the notes and stealing one of my picks again. What did I pick? Forcing me to subject myself to this weirdness. What did I steal? Power Rangers. Oh, I actually wanted to read this. Oh, well, you should have taken I it. I like Nixie. I'm giving it a buy. I All mean, right. it is bizarre. It's like, I, I put it down. I'm like, what was, it, what it, happened? It, what it is going on? It don't get no weirder. That's for <laughs> certain. But I really like Troy Nixie. Wet fart. That's your ludicrous speed round, and wet fart is the sound Brian Domingos made when he read Wally West's Sanctuary Confession as seen in the pages of Heroes in Crisis, number eight. This onomatopoeia was submitted by Brian via his toilet and the THN Facebook <laughs> fan page. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can fart it in our direction or at any of our social media accounts. Or you can shoot us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Just point your cheeks right at us and let it go. No, please don't. Just do it. Especially if, depending on how wet it is, absolutely not. (laughs) Well, this one was real wet. This week in the THN Sanctum Sanctum, the summer solstice is upon us and we're feeling brandy. Every year comes solstice time, we forget our differences and invite the lizard people and the mole men to a giant feast, culminating in a wine-soaked orgy. And then afterward, we collapse in a nude, sweaty pile of bodies and discuss our must-read picks for next week. Gross! Matt, while I'm collecting myself, why don't you start us off? Yeah, you got a collection of little something there you need to wipe up. (sighs) Give me that sponge, will you? My pick for next week is The Weatherman, volume two, number one from Image. It is written by Jody LaHoop. With art by Nathan Fox. 32 pages for $3.99. The name is spelled L-E-H-U-E-P. I can't say it without sounding like a hippo. <laughs> Here's your solicit. Nathan Bright has no memory of his alleged role in the terrorist attack that killed 18 billion people. Whoa, what? But that isn't stopping him from trying to atone for the actions of his past what self. What planet is this on? Hunted by literally everyone in the galaxy, Nathan's quest for redemption takes him to the scene of the crime where he discovers that Earth's not lifeless at all. It's monstrous. This is from Jody who wrote Shirtless Bear Fighter. Oh, fun. Nathan Fox, who worked on Haunt and DMZ. This is the second story in the weatherman uh yeah that's why it says volume two yeah yeah the first one was fantastic i gave it a buy it i don't even I, remember I how long ago six or seven months ago it was a while ago yeah i don't i don't i never read it I don't oh it's a great book i loved it i'm looking forward to this one joe patrick what is your pick for next week my pick's gotta be war of the realms number six from marvel comics written by jason aaron with art by russell dowderman it's 56 pages for 5.99 here just to listen the world shattering conclusion of war of the the tides begin to turn as unexpected allies appear in a twist that will shake the heavens. The Thor Corps, baby. No. Yep. Are you serious? Nah, sort of. <laughs> Malekith's allies are fault. I mean, the cover's got like three or four versions of Thor on the Is Dargo going to be there? It's not really the Thor Corps. Okay. It's like young Thor, regular Thor, King Thor, like all the different timeline versions. It's the Legion of Extraordinary Thor. The League, the League of Extraordinary Pardon me, the League of Extraordinary Thor. 
Milliken's allies are faltering at last before the might of all Earth's heroes, but the Dark Elf King has one final trick, and it's got a venomous bite. The Legion of Thorper heroes. The, the Legion of Thorper heroes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Out of options, the God of Thunder makes a sacrifice that will leave him forever changed. But will it be enough? And what heroes may fall in his wake? Midgard's fate is sealed as Jason Aaron's years-long saga comes to its epic conclusion. It's just been so damn good. I know. It's I, been so damn the, good. Most of the tie-ins are great. Yes. This has a, been a good event. Yeah. This has been a good event. This has <laughs> been a good event. Uh, it's a spicy event of a meatball. Um, if this does not end with Mjolnir being reformed, I will storm the it's castle. It's got to, right? It has to. I think that's what was happening at the end of the last issue. It yeah. looked like Jane Foster was like summoning all the bits of metal or and something. And this stuff with all the multiple hammers is fun. I like it. I need Thor to have the fucking Mjolnir. I need Mjolnir, yeah, yeah for it's sure. Just, come on. But yeah, super excited to see where it goes. Super excited to see how Jason Aaron caps off his run. Totally. All things Thor all the time. Give it to me. Yes. The THN Trade of the Week goes to Rolled and Told, the hardcover, volume one, from Lion Forge. It is written and illustrated by Various. It is 304 pages for $39.99. What a steal. <laughs> Here's your solicit. This collected edition of Rolled and Told contains all the adventures, many adventures, comics, and articles from issues zero to six, along with extra content you couldn't get in the single issues. It provides hours of pick-up-and-play campaigns designed for both players new to tabletop role-playing and for those who have played for years. Every page is filled with beautiful illustrations, comics coinciding with adventures, and splash art from your favorite comic artists to inspire your players. Survive the dangers of the Thunderlock Bar Crawl. Save goblins in Hoist the Jolly Gobbler. Gross. And play the adventures Mage School Beyond the Mirror, The Case of the Brutal Brunch, <laughs> and many more. What the hell is this? Uh, so Rolled and Told is like a gaming slash comic magazine almost. I don't know anything about this. Yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about it. Huh. And it's, yeah, it's got like adventures and is character toots sheets. This? this seems like something toots I think be Toots has heard of it. Heavy yeah. down with. I think so. Um, but yeah, I've heard nothing but great things about it from uh, gaming fans. Uh, this is a huge book for 40 bucks. Uh, hardcover. It sounds great. Yeah. And I like that it's like, hey, you're interested, but you're not like a super dedicated or experienced gamer. Hey, this is for you. Right, right, right. An entry point. Yeah. These are just it's a like the marijuana that gets you hooked on heroin. Yeah, the eventually. gateway drug of yeah. role-playing games. <laughs> These are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your LCS next week, but we want to hear about everything you're excited to read. Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you'd like to hear us review on the show. It can be easy for us American nerds to forget there's a whole world of nerdom out there. So let's check in with our favorite pervert across the pond. Live from Mushroom Manor, it's Stately Lord Fungus! Live from Mushroom Manor, I am Stately Lord Fungus. And I am Lady Gale of the Manor. And we're laughing because we're welcoming you to episode 800,000 of Tales from the Manor. While we weave another of our Trevor Slattery flattery baskets and take a look at the comic book news from a British perspective, let's spare a thought for everyone who tuned into this week's show, heard that we were on at the end, and skipped straight to the credits. Well, guess what? This episode comes with a free hand job and $1,200 spending money at the local casino of your choice. So tough tits, you skipping pricks. Speaking of tits, 
Let's dive right in with the news that a sparkly vampire will be sleeping at Wayne Manor for the forthcoming future. Yes, the news that Robert Pattinson has been announced as the Batman will certainly divide fans and possibly send the internet into a Reactor 4-sized meltdown. All while they draw up plans for a petition to have the end of the so far unwritten script rewritten. Look, we like the guy. You can't judge him just on Twilight. He was also in Twilight 2 and Twilight 3, and I have no idea if they made a number 4, did they? Unfortunately. Okay, maybe there's something to this. But still, he's a good choice, and he'll no doubt make a fine addition to the DCU. In other colourful paper-based story news, the very wonderful Good Omens arrived and promptly left UK shores last week. It was a really lovely show, not quite living up to the enormous hype, but still a lot of fun and charming to a T. We binged all six episodes on Amazon and thought the two leads did an absolutely wonderful job of capturing the essence of everyone's favourite book. But David Tennant, oh, sweet swoosh. Shut up. <laughs> Staying with Amazon, we are only a few weeks away from the UK premiere of The Boys. Now... I am practically rigid at the thought of seeing my second favourite comic book of all time, nothing will ever come close to Transmetropolitan. Or Lock and Key. On the small screen. But it got me thinking, how will the blatant violence against women play out in a society being slowly educated to treat females with something bordering on respect? Well, I feel that I can add to the conversation and possibly present a little less militant female perspective here. So... I read The Boys recently in readiness for the upcoming series and apart from the world building being a little bit slow at times, I did really love it. I thought the bleakness and the cynicism were much needed in sometimes too saccharine superhero world we have nowadays. And yes, I get that the women are horribly exploited so that makes it rather dated in the world we live in now. But was I offended and did I throw my hands up and go on a feminist rant? No, I didn't because the storylines and the characters are simply brilliant. I do get, however, that to appeal, appease and fit in with a 2019 audience, the TV series will really need to tone down the unapologetically violent approach to women. I just hope it doesn't detract from the actual story and dilute it beyond recognition too much. Okay, I don't mean to come across like Garth Ennis's other great creation, Jesse Custer. It's just I appreciate the art for what it is, and I'm not always looking for the subtext for which to launch an argument. So, there you have it. You can't buy that sort of perspective. Well, you can actually. Gal was paid two Kit Kats and a glass of a house white for appearing today. Yeah. It's a standard fee for middle-aged female genre perspective in the UK. Yeah. So, we've just got time for a quick phrase of the week, and it's brought to you like everything else at the moment, by Brian Michael Bendis and Art Germ. And that phrase is... Give me a tinkle on the blower. Say it like you mean it, internerds. Give, Give me, me a tinkle, tinkle on the blower. blower. It means... Give me a call or ring me. We tended to use it a lot when before we had mobile phones and we had normal house phones. So tinkle is the ring, blower is slang for a telephone. In context... Ay, lad, when you get to Earl House, give us Tinkle on Blower, I'll tell you, hide. That was beautiful. So, until next time, if there really is a next time, I'm Stately. And I'm Lady Gale. And you've been sat still for far too long. Go and have a walk or something. Jeez, you look tired. Are you getting the breasts? You don't look good. Go and have a walk. Yeah. Or, or, or have wine. Excelsior! Oh. 
That is it for THN 533, and the script for 534 is covered in goo after that solstice yeah. orgy. Joe Patrick, you can volunteer to clean this thing off, or you can ask these nerds a new question of the week. So much fun, but at what cost? I know, right? This week's question was submitted by Brian Domingos via the THN forums. A lot of comics fandom is speculation, but I have been thinking about the business side of things and what could improve. If you could change one thing for the better about the business of comics, what would it be? Nullification of exclusives? Banning of variants? Let's hear it. Jesus. Man, he wants to roll with an iron fist. Listen yeah, to this he does. Guy. Give him a little bit of power and he goes nuts. Uh, just a reminder, we are always on the lookout for new question of the week submissions. Right. Otherwise, I'm going to start submitting some really dumb ones. I'm talking stupid. <laughs> John Literal sent like 10 of them oh, to nice. our Twitter and about three of them are usable. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the others are funny, though. Yeah, they are funny. They were funny. If you're new to this show and you would rather spank our bare sunburnt butts than listen to another second, Ow. I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough of it. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap, baby. So we want to thank donors like our brand new patron, Aaron Kilborn! Is this like the third week in a row with a I new I think patron? so. This is nuts. Dang. Like, are we doing something right? I don't think. <laughs> and why did it take so long I just for us to they start know. doing it right? We've been doing this for like 10 years. <laughs> uh, before we go, our weekly shout out goes to... What's this? You know what it is. Bushwick Bill died this week. Uh, of the Ghetto Boys. You once rapped a Bushwick Bill rhyme on this show. I did. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. Oh, that's Bushwick Bill. Yeah. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Bushwick Bill. Bill died of pancreatic cancer this past week, but his time with the Ghetto Boys made a mark on hip-hop history that will not be forgotten. Bill, you were a small man, but your lyrical skills were tremendous. Word to you and rest in power, sir. R.I.P. Bushwick. Got shot in the face for his art. He had a, a picture of him on the cover with one eye. <laughs> Yikes. Gnarly. Yikes. Till next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just shoot your eye out. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. <laughs>